the West Coast, the East Coast, and deep in the heart of Texas, it's the Geek at Arms podcast with Brian, Mike, and James. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of the Geek at Arms podcast, a podcast about three guys who share a lot of geeky hobbies and also share a love for the Lord our God. I'm James, and hanging out with me, as always, are my good friends, Brian and Mike. Brian, how are you today, good sir? Been a good day. It's been a good weekend. How are you? I am doing great. I'm glad to be recording with the two of you. Uh, Mike, how about you, good sir? I am really riding high right now. I just came back from two days at PAX East, so I have a whole lot of people positivity surrounding me for like two entire days. So I'm feeling great. Well, let's ride that high and let's jump straight into Geek Out and let's have you start us off because you have got a brand spanking new PAX report for us. So dude, take it away. Uh, Yeah. So PAX East just happened and uh, I, I did a little bit more preparation this time than I normally do. And uh, one of the things I absolutely love is getting there early on Saturday. I went Friday and Saturday, uh, but Saturday I make sure to get there extra early because this queue hall packs up. So the doors open at 8. They let you into the building, but they don't let you into the expo hall until 10. So a lot of people are standing there for two hours in just these pens where they have people packed together waiting to get into the expo hall. And when you have a bunch of nerds standing together for two hours, we don't just stand idly. People are generally throwing around beach balls, inflatable aliens, periodically an orca. And I decided that this year, since for Saturday, I was taking my eldest along with me again, we would use some teamwork. And we inflated a eight foot long golden dragon raft yes so while the beach balls were bouncing along up went an eight foot dragon and it started getting crowd surfed up one side and down the other did you name and, it? did you uh, name the dragon she she named it tabitha <laughs> so tabitha the golden dragon took a brief but glorious flight <laughs> um because it was also a learning experience because what i did not know is that rafts that have handles on them uh, are contraband in the line. And so it stayed up for a good solid five minutes before the enforcers were able to get their hands on it and take it away. So I get it that what it is is that the handles can, uh, can flip and potentially hit someone in the eye. So we don't want that. So I totally get why they took it. But after they took it, you know, people were starting to boo. And I'm like, okay, no, no, guys, like they're doing it for a reason. And then the enforcers paraded it back by the entire crowd just because this thing is huge and glorious. So <laughs> You should have led like a rally call amongst the entire line. Tabitha, Tabitha. Not that it would have done oh, anything, they, but it, it might have made a YouTube video. Well, next year I'm, I'm going to do the same thing and just armed with that knowledge, I'm going to shop smarter and I'm going to get – another dragon that does not have any handles on it. And so everything is cool and it can crowd surf for as long as it wants. Yes. If you shoot oh. video of this, I will put it up on the geek at arms YouTube page. I think that we do have some video, not very good video, but we do have video of some of the crowd surfing. Awesome. 
but once we got into the Q hall, uh, got past the Q hall and actually got into the exhibit, uh, they had some really fascinating things this year. The nature of packs seems to be changing a bit uh, because they just had for the second year and it was very successful. They had packs unplugged, which is exclusively tabletop in Philly. And in the past, PAX has generally been like one-third tabletop and two-thirds video gaming. And it looks like PAX Unplugged is so successful and so phenomenal that it is pulling a lot of the big demos, the big names, the big releases from PAX East and moving it into PAX Unplugged, which, understandable, that's their niche. So you're seeing less of the announcements, but you still have a lot of tabletop gaming, a lot of opportunities to demo some games, but not as many as the bigger releases. So you kind of have to know what you're looking for rather than something really popping up and really, really grand presenting itself. At the same time, we're also seeing more tabletop games and more tabletop demos coming into the video game two-thirds. So the expo hall is not exclusively video games now. There's more and more and more tabletop coming into that area where you do have some of the companies deciding to still expo their games at PAX East. And I had some learning experiences there. There were some, there were a lot of games that I liked in terms of tabletop, nothing that I really loved and decided, oh, I've got to take that home. I've got to, I've got to kickstart that right away. But that's a good thing in itself because I don't see this thing on Kickstarter and say, oh, that looks hysterical. That looks like a great concept. Let's back that. And then you get a game that you're like, eh, this is neat, but there's no no real niche for that that that's filling in my game cabinet. Mm-hmm. So that much was good, but I do want to make mention of something that was such a phenomenal concept. I Even though I didn't back it, I, I still think it's goofy and it's great. Valhalamas is a game out there. <laughs> You don't have to go any further. <laughs> Just the name. It's a four-player, a two-to-four-player Nordic Llama combat where you draft your llama, you draft your helmet, you draft your powers, and then the smackdown on each other begins. Do they have a lot of llamas in Norway? <laughs> These. These questions are for people who missed the point. (laughs) I did see some really interesting video games that were being demoed there. One that I think is conceptually more interesting than anything that I've seen in a couple of years called Starship Commander. This is a VR cinematic experience. So the video game is kind of on the rails. But that's not really a criticism because it is a it's kind of a dialectical cinematic experience since it is uh, being a starship commander. You are commanding a starship instead of piloting it by taking control of the helm. You are saying, computer, power up the FTL and then waiting for the FTL powered engage. So you get to you get to sit in the captain's chair and you get to call out what are the commands. And you get to converse with a wingman. And the thing that makes this so interesting is that uh, it is a real-time voice command AI experience. So there are just hundreds of dialogue options. Hmm. And it is very quickly 
sorting out what you are saying and then responding with the appropriate bit of recorded dialogue. And they have a wonderful actress that is playing uh, your sergeant and your your wingman. And it's just fascinating because you're you're going down at one point like a Death Star 2 trench run or or core run. So you're going all the way through these tubes, taking left, taking right. And you see that you have a path blocked in front of you and like, okay, I need to know if it looks like you got a blockage. Are there any identifying markings? And you could say, uh, unlock doors, tango three. It's like, uh, T3, got it. And then she, she unlocks, she opens the aperture, do a couple of these. And then there's this alien symbol. It's like, uh, you're coming up to another one. What does it say? <laughs> and I'm just said, um, it looks a little like a Wendy's logo. She's like, I'm going to need a little more than that. Like, uh, <laughs> about some, some sh- it looks like some shrugging shoulders and some crossed legs. Like, uh, I found some shrugging shoulders. Um, anything else? You said something else. I said, and crossed legs. Like, shrugging shoulders, crossed legs. Got it. And then she opens it up. And, you know, I had asked, like, so there were other things you could use to describe it? And he's like, well, probably. You want to hop back in line and find out? Because this thing is, I have been told certain things like these are triggers. Like if you say, you'll ask, well, how old are you, soldier? If you say that you're 10, they're going to take all of the swearing dialogue out. If you say that you're, you know, 45, like, oh, well, you're a seasoned veteran. I said, so what's it going to say if, if I tell her I'm 173? They said, there's only one way to find out. And she gave me a snarky response of, yeah, if I was 17 and fresh out of the academy, I might have believed you. Like, oh, you just told me I'm old. <laughs> that that was that was a little too real, Starship Commander. At that point, Mike got quiet and said, "Oh, log out." I, I'm done with this game. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that that is more interesting for uh, the future that this could show for video games because it's capable of doing this action in a live action environment because there are things that you are you're still shooting at things like you're using your you have basically a crosshairs in your line of sight that you're turning your head and aiming at incoming starships so you've got all of these elements that are coming together during the cinematic experience it's just telling me things are good enough that maybe in the next generation you could be in kind of an ender's game sort of situation where you're where you say to your flight commander okay i want echo group Take the you know take the left flank tango group. I want you to to start your dive on the reactor and let the game play from the commander's seat from this point forward because the evolution is just getting that good, especially in a con environment. Because if you've never been to one of these cons, uh, right now you can kind of hear my voice is a bit different. It's because you have to talk over the huge din of everything that's going on. The fact that it can pick out my voice at all means the AI was doing better than the buddy that I had in line next to me. Gotcha. So, but uh, there was another video game that I thought looked absolutely fantastic called Evergate. And the concept is that you have a soul that is in the afterlife and the afterlife is falling apart. And so I turned to the developer and I said, okay, it's, it's not enough that my, my life is falling apart. Now you're telling me that my afterlife <laughs> is falling apart. Like I've got nowhere to go. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But in this game, you could do something about the afterlife. I'm like, okay, I'm back in. And it's really just a 2D platformer puzzle solver. It is more puzzle solving skills than platforming skills, but it's lighter on the platforming 
to do the puzzle solving. And it was just such a wonderful, creative, visual environment. Plus, it was just fun to play as you just kind of figure out the mechanics of how does the platforming interact with these abilities to solve a puzzle. So I would definitely recommend checking out a trailer, checking out, seeing if there's any, uh, anything else out there. The developer did not officially say anything about it coming out for the Switch in the near future. He did not say <laughs> that there's going to be an announcement about it coming to the Switch. So, you know, Nintendo, if you're listening, he, he specifically did not say that. Gotcha. We heard nothing. Um, and the PAX weekend rounded out with a performance with Bit Brigade. And what they do is, this is a concert, uh, a rock concert, where they played Mega Man 3. And they had somebody boot up the console and played Mega Man 3, and the, the rock band was, the metal band was playing the soundtrack in time to playing the game, and they, they ran the game in an hour. And that was amazing. Start to finish, every bit of music, and it was fantastic. So I'm assuming that the person who was actually playing Mega Man 3 was someone who had practiced this, because I'm just envisioning that they get just some guy from the audience, and he just sucks at it. You know, <laughs> They're in the middle of a power chord, and then you hear, do, 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 because he's died again. And they have to start over, and what should have been like a one-hour concert is like six hours uh, yeah, it was definitely a member of the band because they knew what order they were playing their sets in. And every move the guy made was perfect. Not to say that he didn't get hit, but when he's doing the speed run, he'll take a hit from a lesser powered enemy so he could take advantage of that one and a half, two seconds of invulnerability to jump over a more powerful enemy or jump through a more powerful enemy so he doesn't have to fight oh. a mini boss midway through. So even the damage was perfect if that makes sense yeah mm -hmm. i was watching some uh, super mario brothers speedrun analysis a few weeks ago and it's just like that is just impossible what those people are doing i mean they're they're calculating like fractions of a pixel where you've got to stand in order to get stuff done it's amazing some of it is and yeah with those speedrunners, some of it is uh is done by programming the game ahead of time so mm -hmm. they will sit and figure out it and tell the game how to play and then hit start on their pre-programmed moves so that they could play the game as fast as possible. And there is some distinction between can you play it that fast on console? And every once in a while, somebody makes the quantum leap, proving that you can or demonstrating that you can actually do some of these program moves in console when it is down to fractions of a pixel. And that's just unreal amounts of practice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The second thing I'd like to talk about for my geek out, because I don't want to take up all the time here, but I do, I do feel like since if you listen to the very end of the last episode, like past James's closer, there was some audio taken out from a bit of a break when one of my family members surprised me with a copy of uh, Betrayal Legacy. And James, can, can we play that audio clip? Uh, here's that audio now. Can I pause for just one second? Of course. I'm sorry, you needed me for a second? Kaja, I've got to pause real quick. Okay, sorry. Oh, did you just get Betrayal Legacy? Yes. Holy crap. Okay, we're going to do that. This is recording. a Geek at Arms exclusive. <laughs> oh my gosh, can I touch it? 
I did not. Here, I'm going to give this back to you. I'm going to. We're still recording. Dang it, Kaja. We're not going to be able to get him to focus for the rest of the podcast. Sorry, I can't think. I can't think. There's betrayal legacy in my house. There's betrayal legacy in my house. There's betrayal legacy in my house. Okay. So, yeah, I might have been just a little bit excited about betrayal legacy. I I thought the show was done at that point. (laughs) I figured that you were just going to hang up and Brian and I were going to be like, okay, I guess that wraps it up. Well, I I at least expected to hear the sound of you punching the game as we continued. (laughs) Yeah, so that happened. And what what was amazing is that my wife was trying to be very respectful of not encroaching on our audio. So she slipped out of the house, went to a game store a couple of towns over and brought back Betrayal Legacy. And I didn't even know that she had left when she came into the house. (laughs) So all of a sudden there was Betrayal Legacy just beamed into my office that's a good wife that's a loving wife right there uh you know i don't say enough good things about her on the podcast um (laughs) she's an amazing person and that was one demonstration of love and you should have seen the gleeful sparkle in her eye when she said yes (laughs) i love betrayal the game has flaws and i don't mind saying that it's a flawed game and i love it despite its flaws the same way my wife loves me. Um, so they've made a number of changes to Betrayal Legacy. I mean, duh, it's a legacy game. The haunt mechanic is a lot quicker. And for the campaign mode, that's perfect. Because you have a campaign mode of 13 episodes before you engage in free play. And we're in about, we played the prologue and then I think episode four. And we have, as a family really been loving some of these permanent changes that you can make to the game. You can have certain permanent effects on a room. Like if you've played Betrayal and you know that there's the collapsed room, well, we found out how the collapsed room got collapsed. And if we had won the haunt rather than Kaja winning the haunt, the room wouldn't have been the collapsed room. You can create secret passages from one room to another, which are actually stickers that you pull out and slap onto the board. Anytime you die in a room, you take a little tiny ghost sticker and put a ghost in the room, which power other cards. There is an outside to this game, and certain items can only be picked up outside, and certain... Certain haunts can only be picked up outside or on the upper level or in the basement, and certain events only happen in certain environments, such as outside the basement, ground floor. And so it is creating a more consistent feel in terms of I'm in this haunted house rather than you you know, picking up a shovel and digging up a grave in the kitchen, which can happen in, in Betrayal. <laughs> and uh, you can have permanent effects on events. Uh, There are some events that are like ticking time bombs. Like as soon as you draw this card, put a checkbox. And then as soon as you check off this box six times, it triggers a certain event. So it's, you know, you're burying this card at the bottom of the stack, just waiting for that thing to come back around and blow up on you. So it's a phenomenal, engaging way to play the game. Uh, My only criticism thus far is that they try sometimes a little too hard in terms of creating some of the flavor text. And sometimes it winds up a little bit goofy, one of which my children have parodied saying, well, you see some blood on the floor, and it's kind of gross, but you want to taste it. 
Roll for it. (laughs) You roll the three, so you lick it. And you're gross, too. Lose one sanity. Like, okay, come on. I I get you're trying to make a sanity and horror thing, but that card wasn't wasn't probably your your best move. (laughs) One last thing I do want to say before I close out my PAX report. I, I did close out my PAX report. Um, one more thing before I finish my geek out, I did neglect to mention one really amazing bit of awesome from PAX East. And I want to send you guys a pick real quick. And I'm going to be posting, I think, a few of these on our Twitter before we, in the days coming out to this episode, I think I'm going to roll out some of the amazing photos <laughs> that my eldest and I were able to take at PAX East. And one I want to call special attention to while I'm on the episode is show you this uh, this wonderful picture of an amazingly creative young lady who had decided to do a version of the Oogie Boogie from A Nightmare Before Christmas. Check that out. Oh, that is excellent. Oh, that is terrific. Yeah, I've got a video, and I said, okay, come on, do do a turnaround on that one. And I got a video... And it's just top to bottom, front to back, oh, she's, unreal. She's even got the dice in her hand. Oh, well done. Like, I don't know who you are. I wish I had your card. I would tag you on this. But just amazing. Oh. And uh, speaking of cards. Yes. Speaking of cards, somebody who is amazing and awesome and has a voice smooth and sweet as honey, and his name is James, has made us (laughs) some Geek at Arms business cards so that if just so coincidentally happen to be at a convention, uh, you can pass them out to people while you're standing in the queue hall or comparing things about Twitter feeds and so forth. So, yeah, I was able to exchange cards with a few people, and I was very grateful to have them. Awesome. How many do you think you gave out? I don't know. Um, less than 15, okay. um, more than eight. Um, <laughs> but it was one of those things. I actually handed out a lot more on Friday because I just so happened to be in a position where I could talk more freely with people. Saturday is just so crowded. It is yeah. It is people's either favorite day or least favorite day because there is just so much of everything. People are packed, it's loud, it's crazy, lines are hours long, the cosplay comes out of the woodwork, so there's just people everywhere. Now, the young lady who is doing the fantastic kind of deconstructed Oogie Boogie, was she there on Friday or Saturday? That was taken Saturday. Gotcha. She was probably there Friday, but I did not see her dressed up, and honestly, if I was standing next to her on the train going to work on Monday. I probably wouldn't know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that is awesome. Was there anything else on PAX or any other geek out topic? I think that'll about wrap it up for me. I don't want to be a uh, geek out hog, so I'm going to let one of you fine gentlemen take up the next leg. All righty. I will go next then. Um, Got a few items on my geek out for the past month. The first thing that is uh, fresh on my mind that just came out this past week was we finally got the first trailer for season three of Stranger Things. Ooh, I missed that. Mm-hmm. Brian, have you had a chance to see that yet? Um, I watched it, but I didn't have audio, 
so I haven't really got the full experience of it yet. Looks great. Oh, that's okay. It goes it goes back to like 1920 silent film, so that was perfect. There was there was no audio. <laughs> there you go. It looks great. It looks like it's going to be just as good as the first two, and I'm excited. I didn't get a chance to watch them until season two had already been out for a while, but when I did, I had them done seasons one and two watched in less than a week. So with season three on the horizon in the next couple of months, can't wait. I think I'm I'm in the minority of people that from Stranger Things, what I really want is is seasons that have nothing to do with each other. I, yeah, I, would, I was hoping it was going to be an anthology kind of thing, too. Because I would love to know not more about this world, but I want to know about another strange happenings in another no-name town with a completely different cast and just start me off with a completely fresh story. I would this be, is, Yeah, I would be fine with that, too. As much as I like this core of characters that have come up the last two seasons— I thought the end of season two kind of wrapped up their story. It was a nice place that we could have left it there and moved on to newer material. I mean, and that's no slight against the phenomenal actors that were involved in this project or the writing. I just, yeah, I kind of want to see something new, more and different. Agreed. But I'll, prob- I'll probably love season three, too. So, you know, <laughs> I won't gripe till I've seen it True. much. <laughs> Uh, next, uh, my wife and I, we were able to get another date night, and we went and saw Captain Marvel, which was just as much fun as I hoped it would be. I have not yet seen that. I, I don't know if I'm going to make it to the theaters, but I feel like I really need to see this. I recommend it. I enjoyed it quite a lot. As a superhero movie, it was there wasn't really a whole lot surprising in it, but the uh, the characters... The interplay between them and the the acting was just top-notch, in my opinion. Agreed. And these really are the movies. I mean, we say that they're comic book movies, but they're they're really starting to feel a lot like because of the the shared Marvel world where all of these heroes and events are interconnected, it's starting to feel a lot like a comic book in the sense that, okay, we, we saw Black Panther and then we saw... Um, Avengers and Ant-Man and Wasp and now we saw Captain Marvel and then we're going to see the next Avengers and it's like well now I've got to wait a couple of months for the next story it's like waiting for the next issue to come out mm-hmm. because yeah. there's so many characters and at this moment they're all kind of sharing a same plot line they brought back the comic book feel of it except just tediously more expensive <laughs> and now you have to wait seven months instead of one month yes <laughs> But it is a great movie. Like Brian said, the interplay between the characters is is wonderful. And the way they... And we've talked a lot about special effects and about how they have de-aged characters before on this podcast. But making Samuel L. Jackson look like a younger 90s-era Nick Fury was great. It was absolutely fantastic and... After the initial shock of seeing him that young, you don't even think about it. You don't even think about it being a special effect at all. It just feels natural. Mm-hmm. Well, the way that they were able to do that in this film was actually far different than any of the effects that they had used in any sort of previous ex- uh, technologies in terms of de-aging. Um, they, they kept working on things and working on things that just weren't working uh, until somebody had the brilliant breakthrough and quantum mechanics 
was able to actually go back to the 1990s, kidnap Samuel L. Jackson, <laughs> bring him into the present, force him to film this movie, and then send him back in time. And then the current Samuel L. Jackson just waited for all those memories to start flooding in, and that is when the freakout happened. See, I'm I'm more <laughs> impressed that not so much that they were able to break the uh, quantum barrier and bring young Samuel L. Jackson back for that. I'm surprised that they were able to, it must have been a gunpoint, keep him from cussing every second line because this was Quentin Tarantino-era Samuel Jackson. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of weird. I was, I kept expecting the, the language to come out saying him that young. <laughs> well, I mean, every time he dropped the F-bomb, they would have to send him back in time another 30 seconds. And after, after <laughs> six quantum shifts... Um, well, that you explains start, why he was acting kind of manic. Yeah. Um, it, you start to self-censor pretty quick. <laughs> well, I think it's interesting. They did all, an awful lot of that with CG, obviously, but the de-aging was pretty successful way back in Mr. Holland's Opus when they were doing it all with makeup. <laughs> kind of weird that they'd spend the millions and millions of dollars to do it in CG when, you know, we did this to Richard Dreyfus decades ago. Yeah. What I found interesting is maybe it's because this is the first Marvel superhero movie that is headlined by a superheroine, by a lady. DC, we had Wonder Woman. It was fantastic. But I was really surprised by all the hate that Captain Marvel was getting online. And that even from the reviews that came out after it was released, and I was seeing weird reviews. You'll see one of two things. Like, Rotten Tomatoes will love it, but the viewer reviews will hate it, and vice versa. Rotten Tomatoes will give it a, like, a 23%, but then it's got, like, four and a half stars out of five by those who uh, went and saw it, you know, and just posted their own reviews. It's usually one of those two with most movies. And this one was just kind of all over the place. And, Brian, you and I came to the conclusion that we're not going to listen to movie critics at all a long right. time ago. <laughs> And like you, I thought it was fantastic. I thought it was great. I also have been just kind of a generally ignoring uh, internet commentary on mm -hmm. films just because there's so many people. And, oh, gosh, I actually watched a bit of Fry and Laurie's sketch on this very topic where they were talking about people who just want to knock things and they think they're so educated and they're so clever just knocking things. And it's, that's what it feels like is just people are trying to to feel clever by – picking something and saying what's wrong with it. And, you know, I fall into that sometimes too, but it's not elevating the conversation at all to just listen to or comment on the commentary. So I generally just try and ignore it, which makes my presence on Twitter problematic to say the least. <laughs> the bit of commentary that I have been paying attention to is these memes that will come up. And I usually, anytime there is an opinion that is expressed in JPEG term only, it is not <laughs> worth listening to. But when people are saying, oh, it's so great to have this strong feminine lead in an action film for the first time. And we know it's not really the first time, but, you know, as Hollywood is coming <laughs> up and catching up with Wonder Woman. And then they'll post a picture of Ripley saying, wait, what? <laughs> Excuse me? Like, didn't I just beat the crap out of that queen alien? Did you not see me in the Mecca? Which I found that amusing because, I mean, we haven't had a lot of them. But, I mean, we have had Sigourney Weaver being our action hero in my childhood. And it's kind of interesting that we're seeing it happen more now. 
And at the same time, you know, up comes Linda Hamilton next to her going, can you believe this? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. And Linda Hamilton, though, caught quite a lot of attention. And it was positive attention in the 90s when she obviously beefed up for this role. Like mm -hmm. her weapons training was part of the background vignettes on the making of and her physical regimen to turn her from the, oh, my gosh, I'm the damsel in distress to, no, I, I don't want to face this thing, but we're going to do it. So let's get ready. From help, I'm in danger to I am the danger. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So all that to say, Mike, highly recommend you catch Captain Marvel, especially if you have plans on going to see Avengers Endgame coming up later in April or even not. It's a great movie on its own. Doesn't need any other justification. Wait, what do you what do you mean about the Avengers movie? I mean, we obliterated half the world, right? I mean, that was the closer, right? Yeah, that was the end. Okay. <laughs> I feel a lot better knowing about that, so I don't have to worry about uh, catching up on anything more. Well, there, there's a mini-movie called Avengers The Dusting. It's where you just see them going around with a dustpan <laughs> and broom cleaning up. Oh, I thought up. that was a white wolf game. <laughs> Oh, like the end of those, oh gosh, what was it, like the end of the Bullwinkle cartoons when you have the guy coming up the street sweeper at the end, cleaning up after the parade. <laughs> yep. While the world is grieving, there's one guy who's a cleanup guy who's just clapping his hands going, sweet overtime. <laughs> I Honestly, I'm probably going to stream the next Avengers movie. I'll wait till it comes out. I can rent it for a few bucks. I enjoyed having... The Last Avengers movie for one of my sick day viewings, but I don't think I'm going to crawl all over myself to see it. I'm I'm glad they had the guts to nuke half the world, but at the same time, it was so overly done. I'm like, okay, they're going to fix it in the next one. You, you got you guys got this. Yeah, it is comics. Dead characters don't stay dead for long. That's not even comics. What happened to Obi Wan Kenobi? I mean, look at Yoda. He's been <laughs> dead for ages. He's still coming. <laughs> burning trees and instead of a tourism i guess it's a disneyism because they're all under disney now which is not a bad thing because now i i have at least the possibility of my fantasy of seeing what happens when agents of shield knocks on professor xavier's door saying well it looks like you got a lot of powered people here and we know that you're a straight up guy but we like to keep tabs on what's going on with powered people <laughs> that's a conversation i want to see both with the Disney-Fox merger, it could be Deadpool that answers the door. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, that goes badly. <laughs> Brian and I were having this conversation the other night that because of that merger, I would love it if at the end of Endgame, because we know at some point the heroes are probably going to have to go off in space, and the, the very, very last end credit scene is up comes Deadpool, and he's trying to, to, to put on over his normal uniform. He's trying to put on one of his spacesuits. He's like, sorry, sorry, guys, sorry. That, that merger took a whole lot longer than I thought it would. Sorry I'm late. Sorry. But what? You guys left? And because it's a PG-13 movie, they get one use of language, and that'll be when it happens. I don't know. Their PG-13 rating might come from when he's already taken somebody, swept them up into a dustbin, put them into their own special container or room, and then we just sit back and wait to see who reconstitutes and what he has planned for that. That's that's where it gets PG-13. <laughs> uh, anyway, moving on. Speaking of streaming movies, uh, my wife and I found ourselves with an evening where we could actually watch something. We had the kids in bed, and we decided to 
not watch one of the shows that we usually do. Uh, Orville is off this week, and we haven't quite finished the second season of The Dragon Prince, but we will be finishing that soon. And uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., that was one we were watching fairly regular for a while, but we've just, I don't know, in our view, it just kind of went off the rails. So, Was it when they went into outer space or when they started messing with time travel? After they I am came... not caught up on that show. <laughs> <laughs> After they came back from space and it, I realized we're, we're not watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. anymore. We're watching the agents formerly known as S.H.I.E.L.D. Do you know what's <laughs> funny is I don't remember which way it went, but my but my wife and I were on opposite sides of that last season. Like one of us loved the first half but hated the second half. The other one of us loved the second half but hated the first half. So we we were not on the same side of that season. So whichever end you fell off on, I understand. Yeah. So instead of a TV show, we decided to watch a movie, and we found that the 2017 movie Murder on the Orient Express was available on Amazon. Ah. So that, oh. that's one that had been on our radar for a while. I'm like, you know what? Let's do it. And even though we thought we had a full evening, we both ended up crashing a little bit early. But we got through about half of it, and we'll catch the second half soon. I had forgotten just how many names were in this movie. I mean, obviously, it's got <laughs> Kenneth Branagh playing, Judy Dench. Yeah, playing Hercule Poirot. It's got Judy Dench. It's got Daisy Ridley, Penelope Cruz. It's got Johnny Depp, Derek Jacoby, Michelle Pfeiffer. It's got William Defoe. And as I'm, I'm watching more and more people show, I'm like, who is is everyone in this movie? Obviously uh, yeah, not, they... but, I mean, it just was surprise after surprise. Yeah, they all hadn't read the book, and they wanted to find out who did it, and this was the easiest way. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. For what we've seen so far, we've really loved. We've gotten to the part where the train has been blocked by snow, a murder has occurred, and uh, Poirot has decided to solve the case. And that's where we paused, and uh, we'll be catching up on it soon. But from what I've seen, I really liked Judy Dench now, are did you it. Familiar, are you familiar Wait, with I, that story going in? I am not, actually. That is a oh, book good. I have not read yet, so yeah. everything is fresh and new to me. I actually don't know what role Judy Dench plays, so don't listen to me. William <laughs> Defoe did it. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, is he Poirot? Who? Defoe? Uh, no, it's Kenneth Branagh. Oh, Kenneth Branagh? Okay. He didn't do it. No. <laughs> but in a weird twist, no, it's still not him. Other than movies, one thing that I have really been enjoying the past few weeks is that for the first time in about two years, I have actually bought a new Xbox game. And I've talked about it before in the podcast, but I finally picked up Kingdom Come Deliverance. And the main reason I picked it up was because I got an alert on Amazon because I had it in my wish list. And it was on sale so instead of the $30, which I thought was a completely reasonable price, it was like $22 for a brand new copy. I thought, yep, yeah, I'll have that right now. Remind me, what is Kingdom Come Deliveries? Just a real quick de deliveries. Kingdom Come. <laughs> it's where you put <laughs> on chainmail and armor and you get a. Bring forth babies in the world. You deliver Amazon orders and deliver people on lift to various destinations on the back of your, your war horse. 
See, I assumed that it was like half night, half doula. <laughs> just, just remember to breathe. Remember to breathe. It is an action role-playing game, very similar in style play to Skyrim. But instead of being set in one of the lands of the Elder Scrolls games, it is set in 15th century Bohemia, which is the Czech Republic today. The, the Holy Roman Empire is still going on. And it is during the time of the Hungarian king Sigismund. And you play the son of a local town blacksmith whose town is wiped out by that king Sigismund, who has decided that he is going to take the rest of the country from his brother, the rightful king Wenceslas IV. And that's just what happens during the prologue. So it's, uh, it's more historically based. It's completely historically based. And the people who did it, the studio, Warhorse Studios, they did their homework, which isn't surprising considering that they are a Czech video game developer based in Prague. This makes a lot of sense as to why we had those Eastern European reenactors at PAX. Really? They yeah, I caught my. They caught my eye because I was walking past these people, and I I looked up and said, "Wait a minute, that is not cosplay. That is that is sixteen gauge steel." It's like, "Yes, it is." And I said, "That's that's functional armor." And it's like, "So you know about this time period?" I said, "Well, I'm pretty sure that those gauntlets are Italian, and you're well." No, I didn't say that. <laughs> uh, as, as Mike starts deconstructing everything he's wearing. Well, actually, he did deconstruct. He's like, well, this is this, this is this. I cheated with the gauntlets because they're articulated gauntlets and they are Italian from the 15th century. And I'm like, okay, that makes sense. So we started going off more, less about the video game and more about Tallhofer and, and armor in the 15th century. And my friend who was with me was like, how does everybody talk to you about something and you happen to know a little <laughs> bit about all of their areas of expertise i don't know um it's called dilettante that's right exactly now i'm only a few hours into the game but from what i have seen i'm really enjoying it it is a beautifully made game um, there are some glitches, and there are some parts where you see that the, the flowers and the trees, once you get closer to them, the branches and the petals are looking a little flat. But for it being the first game from this uh, European studio, I'm fine with it, because the gameplay and the, the depth and the history of everything is, is there, and it's so good. And as you as you set about, because your, your your mom, your dad, and everyone you knew was was killed, and if you decide to you know seek out vengeance, or I mean, basically, it's oh, you, what you decide to do is completely open, and how you set about doing it. And the the first time I pulled a sword on an enemy, this wasn't like Skyrim where I could just just machine gun the the X button and kill them. I I, I tried attacking once; it was slow; it was blocked. And uh, oh, he stepped out of the way, and then I was dead in 10 seconds. And uh, if you want to get better at fighting, you need to find someone to teach you. And that's with most skills in this game. Either you find someone to teach you, or you just keep doing it and doing it, learning about it. If you want to learn to read, like I found a book. I opened it up. It was gibberish. <laughs> that's great. That's cool. All the letters were jumbled. Like one word was in there. It was like, and. That was the only one that made sense. And 
I found out that by studying books and by finding uh, teachers who were usually clergy, I could begin learning to read more and more. And as I did, the books would make more sense. I'd read more books, more skills come available. And uh, yeah, and I'm not ashamed to say that uh, the first couple of hours I spent in the game, I went around my little town collecting herbs. So that was a bit like Skyrim <laughs> because I found that we had a little market and two of the people in the market buy herbs. And so I decided I wanted to st actually start the game off with some coin. So I went around collecting all these different plants and selling them. And it wasn't just like Skyrim. They're mostly fantasy-based ones. Here I was collecting things like nettle, St. John's wart, chamomile, and looking at them and after just a moment on Google, I found these were all plants that were widely known and used in medieval times and each served a purpose. So once again, the homework is done. It's there. The people who made it have shown an incredible focus on detail. And I'm going to be spending a lot of hours in this game, and I'm really looking forward to it. Ooh, it's on sale on Steam. Do it. I recommend it. Added to cart. As I get deeper into the game, I'm sure I'll talk about it once or twice more on the podcast. I'll let you know how I do. Right now, I am you know, Blacksmith's son, level two, and uh, we'll see how I progress. Beyond that, that's been my history fix. For my fantasy fix, I have been listening to a new podcast. Well, new to me, but it's been around for a while. And that is the Prancing Pony podcast. A, uh, I'm interested. It is a, a podcast all about Tolkien's works. And it's a pair of guys who who discuss everything about his his works. They just recently released their 119th episode. Some of the ones that they've released, they did a discussion about the house of Tom Bombadil, all about the character, what his origins might be, who he actually is, and more, both he and Goldberry. They take a look at the, the races of Middle-earth. One podcast of theirs I listened to recently delved into the origins of the Rohirrim and about the comparisons both in the culture and also in the names and languages to that of uh, the Anglo-Saxons. They talk about the Nazgul, of course, various episodes on parts of the Cimmerillion, and much, much more. From what I have listened to, I have highly enjoyed, and I recommend it, and... I would love to be on a podcast with them or just even just have a long conversation with these guys because of how, how knowledgeable they are and you can tell just how much they enjoy it. And uh, finally, for the last part of my geek out, you guys know I'm a, I'm a knife guy. I enjoy knives, whether they are uh, pocket knives, fixed blade knives, or medieval knives. I've got quite a few of all the varieties. And we have a store here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area called the House of Blades. It's over in Fort Worth. Looks like a log cabin, but you go in, filled with knives. And I was there recently, and I decided I'm going to pick myself up a new EDC knife, a new everyday carry, which hangs out in my pocket and goes with me everywhere, and I use for a variety of functions. And I got myself one, and it is a Zero Tolerance 0566BW, uh, BW standing for Black Wash. A nice handheld blade flips open real easy. It's got about, I think, four-inch blade, maybe four and a half. Blade's made out of S35VN. I know this is something that is pretty much just... I'm, I'm the only one who knows a lot of what I'm talking about, but <laughs> I like it a lot. I was geeking out when I got it and held it and uh, carried it around. 
and I uh, just wanted to share it with you guys. Yeah, I think the LAPD are coming around to my door just for me having listened to you talking about a knife. <laughs> you know, yeah. Um, uh, there are a few things I stopped carrying as soon as I moved into the greater Boston area, just because what was cool in Kansas isn't cool here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm lucky that I've moved to Texas where they passed a law that, oh, you carry a knife? Oh, you know you can carry a longer one now. <laughs> just let you know. <laughs> for years, I've carried a pocket knife. People are like, why, why do you need a knife for? You know, why do you need a weapon? I'm like, it's a tool. <laughs> I'm not planning on attacking people with it. Mike. Cut a rope or something. I open boxes. I cut paper. I sometimes eat my lunch with it. It's it's a tool. It's, there's a variety of purposes. See, it's funny because I carry a pocket knife all the time. And working at a school of mental health, it has a much different vibe than, than it does in pretty much any place else. So somebody will say, oh... I need this done. Uh, does anybody have a screwdriver? And I'll pull out my knife, tighten that up, do what we need to do. Mm-hmm. Something will happen. I need to pull out my knife, get it done. One time I had to use an awl. I don't remember what that was for. Is it a pocket knife or do you have like a Leatherman? It's a pocket knife. Okay. It is a Victorinox Tinker, and I love the oh, thing yeah. that. Those things are fantastic. They really are. It's done everything I've needed it to do, and that's that's great. But people will look at me like, well, why do you have a knife? And I'll look at them and say, why do you keep asking me to do things that so easily require a knife? (laughs) They're related. See, I know in California, if you're even using a plastic fork in a cafeteria, you've got FBI on your, we're on an FBI watch list. (laughs) Is in the Boston area, do they have a a length limit? Yes, I think, question mark. I, I did the research 10 years ago when I came out here and I determined that my Leatherman had exceeded one of those one of those laws, so I decided to move to my tinker for my everyday carry. Smart. Um, though it did get me into trouble one time because I went to go to the USS Constitution, which I could spend an entire episode on why I love that place. And so this is a Navy base, and so they have you walk through the metal detector, empty your pockets. I empty my pockets. I walk through, and one of the guys said, so what were you carrying? And I said, uh, wallet, keys, uh, inhaler, um, I think a little tiny tin of dental floss. And I start rattling. And he just kind of gets this exasperated look, like a knife. And I said, yeah, probably. I carry it most every day. And he just kind of like, dude, okay, okay, I'm going to tell you this because you're obviously not trying to hide it. You gave it to us. You can't have this here. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm like, oh, oh, do you want me to just go home? Like, just, I I don't want to see it, okay? I, just, I don't want to see it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he let me in. <laughs> when when uh, Joy and I took the kids to, it was like this light maze at the Rangers ballpark. It wasn't even an actual game, but since it was inside the ballpark, they still had the metal detectors lined up at the front. And as soon as I saw the metal detectors, and the officers there, I was like, I'm just going to turn right around. I went, I put it in the car. Um, I'm That's not, smart. I, I'm, I'm just going to play it smart. Yeah. I mean, I've been, I walked to the Constitution, so putting it in my car would have would have been hard. The only time it's ever been like, <laughs> I, I didn't think about it, and it almost was an issue, was when we went to the state fair, and they had like wands, and they're asking people to like show their pockets, 
and they had the wands out, and they're just checking for guns. But I let the officer know, hey, I got a pocket knife. And she's like, how big? I pull it out, and it's like a, it wasn't a big one, just a normal pocket knife. And I'm like, here it is. Show it to her. She's like, that's fine. Just keep it in the pocket. I've been considering getting, they've got these uh, card-shaped multi-tools. It's got some hex nut and screwdriver stuff on it and a little bit of a little blade mm-hmm. uh, that, that'll fit in your wallet. I've been considering getting one of those just so if I need a tool, I have something uh, without right. having to worry about, you know, am I going to get patted down and somebody find a pocket knife and consider that reason to throw me in jail? So I know long knives, like fixed blade especially, those are out. But folding pocket knives, are those allowed at all in Cali? They're legal, but if for some reason the police have a reason to stop you, and they find even a folding knife on you, they're going to give you a harder time about it. Gotcha. Um, so it's better to just err on the side of not having it. I'm doing a quick Google search, and just what I'm seeing on the front page is that a folded pocket knife, if you keep it under, keep the blade under three inches, and you're cool. There's a difference between what you can be prosecuted for and what is what is likely to go through the jury for. And what are you going to be given a hard time for on the streets? Like they could, if somebody looks at you the wrong way and has the right, they could say, oh, well, this is probable cause that you are planning to X, Y, Z. Anybody on the street can be as unreasonable as they want and leave it to the judge to figure it out. Yeah, right. I'm not, I'm not saying that's the temperament. I'm not saying that's what's likely to happen. There is no limit to what they can charge you with. And no limit to how unreasonable it is, except for they don't want to look bad when it goes to the DA's office. Of course, this is also a state where if I were to send Brian a pack of bendy straws, he would oh, do, do he, he might be no. he might end up before a judge. So let's err on the side of caution. Oh, look, look, look. Here's the thing is that people can't carry knives, but the marine life will cut you. <laughs> there you go. That is true. But that pretty much wraps up my geek out. Uh, didn't mean to lead to a uh, lengthy discussion on blade length, which I'm more than happy to talk about. Um, <laughs> but uh, Brian, uh, what's been going on with you, my friend? Well, I'll lighten it up a, a little bit. Uh, I've been geeking out to some math lately. Woohoo! Right. Do tell math. <laughs> and so uni- I, uh... unicorns and smiley faces leap out of the podcast. <laughs> I fell into a hole. I wanted to know what was the deal with the Mandelbrot set. This is yeah. a, they call it a fractal. It's not really a fractal, um, but it's a, a set of numbers that if you graph them on the number line, they make this strange pattern. And it's like, it's got all these colors on the edge and they've got it in my, my visual effects software. And I'm like, what is the deal with this thing? I need to find out what this is all about. And it turned out that all of those colors on the edge are not the Mandelbrot set. The big black hole in the center is the set. It's the Mandelbrot set, yes. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Uh, Jonathan Colton has a song about it, so I'm like, yep. (laughs) So I watched some videos on that, how it's calculated, and some stuff like, oh, and then we're discovering that if you you plot the the numbers as they're trying to escape through the the number line, you get this Buddha shape. It's like, ooh, that's cool. I needed to to program that into the software so that I can get the Buddha also. There's absolutely no purpose to it. I have, I think I've used the Mandelbrot tool one time in actual production, and I don't even remember what for because it's just ridiculously hard to zoom in on a particular pattern and, and get some use out of it. I mean, 
like I said, the, the black part is the actual set, so that's not very exciting. So I followed the trails from that, and I ran across this guy called Matt Parker. Have either of you heard of him? No. Wait. I am no. not surprised. No. Because Wait, he was is he related to Peter Parker? No. Matt oh. Parker is a stand-up mathematician, a mathematics comedian. Uh <laughs> No, I mean, this makes sense. I mean, I loved Tom Lehrer, so keep going. Yeah. So I watched a, a video he had on uh, four-dimensional geometry, uh, and it was Always really hilarious. Amazing. He had a great one on uh, his favorite spreadsheet. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that, that's a joke right there. Yeah. <laughs> so he was, he was a lot of fun to listen to. He's got a great accent. I'm not entirely sure where in the UK he's from, but... A, a very pleasant accent. He's got a nice self-deprecating style to him, and he actually does legitimate mathematics and turns it into comedy. So I recommend let's looking more him about, up. Let's hear more about illegitimate mathematics. That sounds a little bit more salacious. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you know, occasionally you'll hear like a nerd comedian or something, and they're they're making vague references to sine curves or something like that. It's like, yeah, that's not really doing any math there. But this guy is actually you know, illustrating and educating, and he's doing it in a way that's extremely funny. Well, that I find extremely funny. I don't know if somebody who's not got a bent for uh, recreational mathematics would find him funny or not. But uh, I'll make sure he's in the show notes so you guys can look him up and the audience can look him up, and we'll find out what's actually funny and what's just Brian being strange. <laughs> but, you know, if you don't enjoy Matt Parker, you might enjoy Number Wang. So look that up, too. Uh... Other than math, James and I both had the delightful experience of being on the City City on a Hill podcast, uh, actual play D&D game again uh, yesterday. That was a lot of fun. We also got to spend some time with Kyle from the MinMax podcast and remind me, Inroads guy is... Was it Mike? Mike from Inroads. Yep. Was it, was it Mike Perna that was on? I believe it was. Yeah. Oh, no way. All right. Yeah. Uh, like Brian said, we had a blast. The the thing about role-playing, especially when you're not actually looking at these guys, is I remember he was playing this one. <laughs> <laughs> and that one as well. That that thing was his uh, pet mouse. Yes. So I have a lot, you know, the characters, you know, Winnie, I know Winnie, and I know this one. Connecting them to Kyle and Mike was a little bit more difficult. <laughs> uh, yeah, I imagine. In the campaign, uh, Mike, we all come from a town that is mostly halflings, gnomes, and warforged. I am a halfling. Brian is a gnome. and You're a gnome, right? Yes, gnome. Okay. And uh, I think, was it Kyle who was also the gnome? Kyle was the other gnome. Kyle was the other gnome. And uh, Mike, who is playing this one, um, is a warforged. A warforged cleric, which is interesting. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly how I imagine my ministry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but uh, needless to say, we have been having a great time. Uh, the first episode we did should be coming out in the beginning of April. So before this uh, podcast comes Tuesday, out, I think he said. Oh, excellent. Yeah. And uh, the second episode, which we just recorded, um, I don't know when, but hopefully soon, because it was a blast to, to do it. I think he said that was going to be somewhere around the mid to late April. Okay. And I was got so inspired by that that I decided, you know what, I'm going to try and put together a 
a little online game of my own. I'd never played with Roll20 before, but uh, it's fairly smooth sailing there. Um, and so I'm, of course, you guys know this because I invited you, putting together a, uh, a game. Maybe it'll be a podcast, maybe not. Depends on how we feel about it. But uh, I'll be running with Primetime Adventures, which simulates uh, a television show. The, the players are controlling protagonists on the show, so they're kind of acting like they're acting like actors if that makes any sense at all. Uh, <laughs> the genre is completely decided, you know, on the first day of play, everybody just kind of throws ideas out there until we come up with an idea and a genre, characters that we want to play, and then we go from there. So I have no idea what the game is going to be about. I have no idea where it's going to go. It is a, a limited... You can play either five sessions or nine sessions. And each, each session is an episode of the TV show. And then when you're done, that's one season arc. Uh, we'll probably start it with a five-session game to start with just to see, is our scheduling actually going to work? Is this something that we can devote the time to without having to feel like, oh, gosh, i got to do this nine more times? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I'm really looking forward to that. And when it rains, it pours. I had a friend at work, a woman who just started there about a month ago, said, I have a feeling you're the person to ask about this, but... Have you ever played D and D? Yeah, you've you've definitely nailed me. I am, I have, and I do play D and D. So she invited me to to play in a group that she's that she was also invited to. Um, I don't know oh. when that's going to happen, but I'm looking forward to that. Actually, playing with some people that are like not in my immediate circle, like I usually do. Very that's cool. Like a cool opportunity. Yeah. So that is. Uh, that is what I where my geek interests have been this past month. Cool. Well, I had something I wanted to discuss with you guys. So let's discuss it. And we yeah. shall. <laughs> Wait, are we discussing it now? Are we discussing discussing or are we I'm discussing the possibility of the discussion. Oh, all right. So I would like to Oh, I thought we were discussing Brian and move forward. I would like to nominate Brian to make the first motion concerning whether James discusses the topic. Do we? Do I will we second that second? motion. Yes. Okay. I would uh, love to, except that you already did. Yeah, dang it. Okay, mm-hmm. then show of hands, motion carried. Moving okay, on. Great. So we have been seeing a large amount of TV and movie adaptations, both books and comic books, in the recent years. And ever since the Lord of the Rings showed that it could be done on the big screen and, well, frankly, Game of Thrones showed that it could be done effectively on the small screen, since then the floodgates have been opened up. And I came across an article a couple of months ago, and it really showed me just how prolific this entire thing is getting and just what exactly is coming up on the horizon. And I wanted to share this with you guys and see if there were any adaptations coming up that you were looking forward to that were out now that you were enjoying and and more because it was even getting to the point of like do do we do we need all of this brought to the to, to the screen okay i mean i'm just i guess i'm a little kind of like how some people are starting to feel with the marvel movies and even the star wars movies like is the bubble going to burst like is it going to become so widespread that people are going to lose interest altogether. And I'll just start off with some of the things that are coming up. 
Amazon, of course, and I've talked about the fact that Amazon is going to be doing a Lord of the Rings series, which I'm very excited about. They're also in talks about doing a series based on Robert E. Howard's Conan the Barbarian. They want to do a series on Stephen King's The Dark Tower, and I think it's out now. Neil Gaiman's Good Omens? Is that come out yet? Is that out? I'm reading that now. Come out yet? It's within the next week or so, I think. Gotcha. It's imminent. All right. Um, what else is more? Uh, of course, the Lord of the Rings series. They want to do uh, Ring World by Larry Niven. This really kind of was an eye opener to me. Apparently, they're either in talk with it right now or they've got the license to do the Wheel of Time. That's been out there for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, that whole Red Sky thing. I don't know exactly how that fell out, but I think Amazon managed to purchase that license either from Red Sky or say, okay, we're going to help you get this done uh, two years ago, I want to say. I know that back in 2015, they made a pilot which was abhorrent, so they could reclaim it on some, like, high UHF station just so that Mm -hmm. they could keep that license. Yeah, and uh, that turned into a lawsuit. It was dropped, but... Apparently there's been deals with like Sony Pictures and now Amazon, and we'll see. What else? Um, Apple is talking about doing the Foundation from Asimov. The BBC wants to do his Dark Materials trilogy, you know, from the Golden Compass and all that. And they want to do a show based on The Watch from uh, Terry Pratchett's books. Disney, we've seen some artwork for a show called The Mandalorian, a TV show based in the Star Wars world. Yeah, and of course, they've been adapting their own animated films into what they're calling live-action films, which are really just CG animated. Yes. Photorealistic. But mm-hmm. Fox currently has one out called The Passage, which I have not watched yet, but it's based on a horror dystopian fiction novel series. FX is going to be doing Why the Last Man. Um, HBO wants to do a Game of Thrones spinoff, which, of course, they do because Game of Thrones is making them all the money in the world right now. <laughs> they actually want to do a number of them. Uh, I think they also want to do one called Lovecraft Company. Lovecraft Company. <laughs> Lovecraft <laughs> Country. Um, it's a mix of Call of Cthulhu with the Electric Company. Oh, oh, that, oh. that ends so deliciously terribly. <laughs> <laughs> Joss Whedon is back in the mix. He wants to do a show about strong, supernatural ability Victorian woman. Which surprises absolutely no one. That's not really. Right. A, is that an adaptation? Or um, is that an original piece. I think it is. Yeah, this would actually be an original piece, so not I an adaptation. Oh, okay. But uh, they're also looking about making a Watchmen TV show. So basically, the list goes on. It and goes on. on. I mean, yeah, the Vampire Chronicles and Rice. Are there any of them that you're particularly excited about? Most of the ones I've just mentioned, not so much. They are going to be coming out soon, and I forget who is doing this. I think it's Netflix, actually, but they're going to be doing an adaptation of The Witcher. And they have got Henry Cavill, who was most recently well-known as doing Superman. He will play Geralt of Rivia. And I'm like, that could be cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, video game to the small screen has never gone wrong. Never. Never, <laughs> never gone wrong. But beyond well, that, Captain N, I think, is. Uh... <laughs> I loved that cartoon when I was a so kid. All right. I think that's the pinnacle of video game adaptations at the moment. Yeah. I, Captain at least N, on television. the game master. Yeah. Uh, how far 
where in that spectrum is uh, the Super Mario Brothers Super Show? Mm. That deadly silence says enough. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but speaking of video game adaptations, there has been talk about, and I think they've almost got it figured out, but Showtime wants to do a Halo video game series. And I think that that could actually be very cool. I mean, years ago, Peter Jackson made like a little 14-minute short based in the Halo universe, which was fantastic. And everyone thought that that was going to lead to a movie or show, and it didn't. But it still shows that it could be very intriguing. Um, Is that the one that's on uh, Netflix still? It's on YouTube. It's on YouTube? Yeah. I know there's there's a Halo something or other that I've seen pop it's up a on Netflix. It's a cartoon. Times. That one's like an anthology cartoon. Ah. Last one I'm going to mention, because there are a lot, is that Deal has been signed to bring the King Killer Chronicle to TV. Oh, yeah. That new deal happened about a year ago, and they've been working things out Mm -hmm. with Rothfuss. I actually was listening to one of his podcasts or reading his blog, one of the two, when they're discussing what it's going to be like trying to bring this together. And one of the things that he explained in doing that is that licenses get bought and get dropped all the time. Mm-hmm. So somebody yeah. picking up a license doesn't mean anything. Like the, the people will pick up and drop the Dune license all the time. And the fact that something gets greenlit also doesn't really mean that it's going to move forward to the next stage because things get greenlit and then directors walk off or things fall apart for one reason or another. So it's hard to get too excited about a particular license getting purchased. It's when we get to that actual next stage of, okay, this is really moving along in production that we can say, okay, this is going to be a thing. So I guess to the point of we have all of these properties, some of which are definitely moving forward. Uh, You said the question is, you know, why? Why bother? Do we need it? Um, I I think the first question we can answer pretty easily in terms of do we need it is, no, we don't need any of this. That's why it's entertainment. (laughs) You don't don't have a daily requirement FDA of this much fantasy, this much science fiction, this much, you know, melodrama, this much comedy. Yeah, exactly. You know, you would be a lot better of a person if you would just watch exactly how much of each kind of media I tell you to, and then you'll be healthy. (laughs) So what is what is the concern that you're bringing up with the do we need it? Well, my worry is that, one, oversaturation, and two, quality. Well, on the oversaturation front, I mean, we had a, a period of time back when I guess we were in high school, a little after that, where everything coming out was a huge epic war movie. I mean, we had Braveheart, we had Gladiator, we had The Patriot, Saving Private Ryan. Mm-hmm. And, you know, apparently that was what the market wanted for a little while, and then they just stopped. And the same same thing might happen with comic book movies or other novel adaptations for television. As long as, you know, the money keeps coming into the studio, they'll keep doing the same thing. Um, but eventually, if we get glutted, if we decide, okay, this isn't what we want anymore, then people will stop watching, the money will will dry up, and they'll move to some other thing. I don't think it's a problem necessarily, but it's it's quite likely to happen eventually. Yeah. Yeah. If, if this is your niche, enjoy it while it lasts. I mean, Westerns mm-hmm. were huge in the 90s. And now try to get one made. I dare you. <laughs> <laughs> 
And if it's any specific property that you're worried about oversaturating, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's going to happen. And at this point, am I going to be able to catch all the Star Wars media? No, I'm not reading every novel. No, I'm not going to be able to watch every TV show. I'm going to pick and choose. And, you know, I grew up loving Star Wars, and I'm content to know that I'm going to like what I'm going to like. And I'm going to leave things aside like I did with Star Wars novels. Loved the Zahn trilogy. I did not necessarily have quite the same affection for even other things that Timothy Zahn had written. And I despised some of the Star Wars novels. So you pick and choose and don't feel the need to be a compulsive consumer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, at some point I had to decide. I was watching so many comic book TV shows and it got to the point where it's like, there's just not enough time if I want to, you know, do regular adult things and laundry and that sort of thing that I'm going to have to not watch some of these just because there's too much. And that's, you know, I felt sad briefly, but ultimately I don't miss Legends of Tomorrow all that much. So so I talked about which ones I'm looking forward to. The only one I would add to that, there are talks about bringing back the Dresden Files as a TV show again which I would like to see that done, but, you know, done right. Yeah, that one's I'm, I'm a little nervous about. I, I actually did enjoy the first outing on the Dresden Files. It wasn't really Harry Dresden. I liked the guy who, the gentleman who they got to play Harry Dresden. Paul Blackthorne. I, yes. I really like him a lot. So do I. I didn't like how they adapted the stories. Yeah. Well, if all they had done was just swap the casting of Karen and Susan... I mean, their their physical types were just flip flopped for some reason. Yes, <laughs> but I liked some of the the twists that they took with it. Like his staff was a hockey stick, mm-hmm. and his wand was a uh, was a, a drumstick. Drum yes, I'd like I that thought, too. You know, That's clever. A guy can walk around in, in Chicago with a hockey stick, and people might look at him a little funny, but the... better than a carved oaken staff. I've seen both in Chicago. <laughs> Ozark folk art. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> So those are the ones I've, that I am looking forward to. What about you two gentlemen? I mean, I just started reading, I shouldn't say just, I mean, I'm nearly coming to the completion of of Good Omens, and I'm really loving the style of the writing, and I think that it's, I don't want to say it's a compelling narrative, because I can't figure out exactly where the narrative is going, except, you know, <laughs> down the hole. I mean, that's, that's what they're telling you, it's the end of the world. I'm enjoying the ride. I I don't know how you would adapt this into television, but also we're in kind of a different age of television than we were 20 years ago. You could not make a TV show out of Good Omens or The Game of Thrones 20 years ago, even if everybody kept their top (laughs) on. Yeah. Because it was the way that TV worked then is you introduce the characters, then you put them in a situation, and then you run a 45-minute narrative and then reset. And you you really can't make some of these larger bits of fiction into an interesting TV show then. But, you know, we're, we're at a different point in our storytelling now. So we do have all of these things. All of these licenses are now available for, for the narratives because the way we tell stories is different. And I think that that's a perfectly fine thing. I don't know that we're going to be here in another 20 years, but I have 
I see no real mystery in why they would suddenly start unpacking these is because these sort of models of longer form storytelling are working and there's a market for it and we will shell over our dollars to stream this, that, or the other. I, I don't know that I'm going to pay money to see Good Omens. I'm enjoying the book. When I get a chance to see it for free, I will, but I'm not in any hurry, uh, but I'm interested. I also know that they have Dune that is going to be released in 2019, and I, I find the book really problematic for a number of reasons, but I also find it to be a delightful read, and I did papers on it when I was in seminary, and I have every intention of checking out the new adaptation, uh, despite some of the failings that it's had coming into a visual medium in, in the past. I don't know that I say that I have utmost confidence that Hollywood is going to get it absolutely right this time. Um, they, they may do, do some good things with it. They may not. Uh, but I'm at least interested enough in the story to see what happens. And how it holds up to their prior two attempts. I'm going to say this about the Lynch version. I love the costuming. Oh, yes. I, I love the set pieces. Mm -hmm. There was just something remarkable about the still suit that is I don't care what it says in the books that's what a still suit looks like it <laughs> doesn't matter you're going to lose so much moisture out of your face and your head and your hands I don't care that's a still suit and in fact they were on the filming and somebody had said to to one of the older actors that were more seasoned like because they're in New Mexico and it's no they're in Mexico and it's hot and they're wearing this full body thing and they're like well are, are you okay he's like well david i'm hot but i look so good i don't care <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i mean things have gone well and things have gone not well so let's see if we've learned anything and uh if we can put that to better use and if there is the the imagination to take a difficult story that is very much in people's heads and very much into the nuance of what's happening that is being predicted about the future and find some way of showing that in the here and now visual media of, of a movie. I mean, I would pull my hair out trying to do it, but I'm also not a movie maker, so I don't know. <laughs> well, there are certainly a few that I'm looking forward to. Um, Lord of the Rings, obviously, you guys know I'm a Tolkien nut. One of the things that I really like, apparently they're uh, they're not retelling Lord of the Rings again. It's going to be following Aragorn's early days, which is a curiously blank part of the uh, the canon. We know a little bit about what Aragorn was up to. We know that he served in the army of uh, of Gondor and he defeated the pirates of Umbar. He spent some time in Herod, but beyond that, Tolkien didn't really say very much. And so I'm really Really curious to see what they're going to do with that. I'm looking forward to getting a, a deeper look maybe at Gondorian society and culture. There was also the part where, um, where he mentions that he rode with uh, Theoden's father when Theoden right. was just a boy. Uh, mm. He served in the, in the Rohir army also at some point. Of course, we got a, we got a pretty good look at uh, the Rohirrim in the films. Mm -hmm. There's not a whole lot of mystery there left for how does their society work. I think we... We got most of that. But Gondor was still pretty mysterious by the time we were done. It's like, how does the nobility work? How do they interact, interface with the, the commoners? What does that all look like? And I hope we get a, 
a better look at that through this series. Of course, maybe they'll totally ignore it and I'll be disappointed, but I'll watch it anyway because it's Tolkien <laughs> and that's me. Yeah. You mentioned the watch earlier, James. Um, I'm not actually a huge Pratchett fan, but uh, a former coworker of mine, a reasonably good friend, was the, I guess he was a co-producer and also head of VFX for Trollbridge, uh, the fan film that took 10 years to make, but was officially endorsed by, I don't think Terry himself officially endorsed it, but his uh, estate certainly did. Cool. And uh, Blocky was actually hired by the Pratchett estate to maybe oversee uh, VFX production on further properties. And I don't know if he's involved Ooh. with the watch or not, but that would be pretty cool. Yeah. I think it's the ultimate goal of every fan work to just not get sued. So to have, <laughs> to have any acknowledgement is awesome. Yeah. Well, and they do know uh, Pratchett was personally aware of the, the project, and he liked it, and he gave it his blessing. Um. <laughs> But that was, of course, in the latter parts of his his life, and he was, uh, I want to say, Alzheimer's or something similar. Um, mm, so that gets problematic. Yeah, but the fact that, you know, the estate going on after him has officially endorsed it, and they said they're, I think they're going to be at a, uh, a film festival. Actually, I think it was this weekend. So it's it's going someplace and i hope that uh he's still involved as they move forward on some of those other pratchett properties i mean the guy wrote so much yeah i'm sure that there's dozens of people willing to uh siphon off some of that money if they get if they get the chance the article that you sent referenced an ian banks series called culture which i think i've read one banks novel i'm not not really sure if it was his or not but the the concept sounded just like right up my alley. This AI driven utopia. It's got some cyberpunk. So, not knowing anything about the books. I don't know that. That really sounds pretty boring. I, I don't really know how they could really pull any uh, any plot out of that. I mean, come on. Let's be honest here. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to that. Not really knowing anything about it. And I like the fact that I'm not real likely to go and read culture the novels. I'm maybe I will. But the fact that hey, it's going to be delivered to me in kind of bite-sized pieces on a weekly basis. You know, I'll probably watch that, even if I wouldn't wouldn't necessarily read the books. Although there have been occasions where uh, the first time I saw the trailer for The Born Identity, that trailer was so good that as soon it was, as it was over, I said, I have to read that book. And I went down <laughs> into the basement and I got it. <laughs> that was a good movie trailer. Unfortunately, the... Uh, the movie was good. I mean, don't get me wrong, but the character of the woman whose name escapes me at the moment was changed in such a way as it really, really weakened her character in the film. And I was kind of disappointed because she was a, a really strong character in the, in the novel. She was the only reason that Jason Bourne succeeded her knowledge of international banking actually best described as an international banking thriller. <laughs> riveting yeah expressed that way he's like nobody would ever watch that movie no nope. but it, uh, it'd be a theater full of accountants <laughs> right so i was a little disappointed in that adaptation in terms of how they treated her even though the movie was fantastic it just wasn't the book that i read so 
I mean, I think that's a great place to segue into this isn't the book that I read. Anything that we see represented on the screen is not going to be the book that you read Mm -hmm. because we are working with a different medium. And if it is a pop-up version of your favorite book, then it's probably a bad movie or probably a bad TV show because different, different mediums rely on different strengths. So you need to make changes to make it strong in that medium. Right. We saw that with uh, Ready Player One, where watching two people play Joust would not have made for a great movie. No. It was awesome in the book, but not what we wanted to see on the screen necessarily. People complain <laughs> about that. Like, oh, it wasn't like the book at all. Like, The book would have been oh. a really bad movie. Oh, wow. I'm just, I haven't seen that movie, but I'm just trying to play that scene in my head with <laughs> an epic joust tournament. I mean, granted. It was I an epic thought, joust tournament versus a lich, if that makes it any I, better. I, I mean, I, I was just at PAX. I saw epic tournaments, and I didn't really sit and watch them, okay? This is, <laughs> yeah, this was pre-esports. So, okay, I get it. I get it. <laughs> Yeah, and there are there are definitely things that are can be done on the screen that are difficult in, mm-hmm. in prose and vice versa. Yeah. Sometimes I've seen it with uh, with Ready Player One. They did a good job of, of changing it and adapting it so that it did fit on the big screen and so that it did make that scene compelling. And we've also seen the opposite, where they, they make changes to what they think would, would fit better on the big screen. And what we get is kind of a mess. And I don't think we need to go any further than mentioning the adaptations of the hobbit (laughs) all three movies i never finished that series i i actually had a better relationship with the hobbit when i stopped thinking of it as a peter jackson film and started thinking of it as a terry gilliam film oh my gosh oh my gosh oh my gosh that changes the dynamic (laughs) doesn't it yeah can we get the illustrations dropped into the middle (laughs) (laughs) i'm now I'm now imagining The Hobbit, but half the dwarves are played by characters from Monty Python. <laughs> I was thinking more along the lines of Time Bandits than Monty Python. <laughs> no, no, right. sorry, my mind's already there. <laughs> <laughs> Although I could see John Cleese would make an awesome Radagast. Yes. Oh, my God. Oh, that yes. I would hate to see. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and this is the thing is that... Peter Jackson did a phenomenal job with The Lord of the Rings. He had a lot of control over the project. He had a lot of time to invest in it. And you had a completely different set of pressures when he was making The Hobbit. And he's Mm -hmm. talked about this pretty openly. So it isn't doing these adaptations well isn't even about getting the right content creators or the right actors. It's getting the right set of circumstances surrounding these creative individuals. Yeah. So it's it's really too hard to stand back and say, oh, here's involved and here's what the source is. Therefore, this will be good or bad. It really has to be judged as it arises to the surface to have any sort of fair judgment. As much as we might be fans of the original source material or excited about the original source material, what is it going to be like when it comes to the screen is really it's a matter of what's it going to be like when it comes to the screen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Has to be judged on its own merits to some degree. Yes. Right. Another disadvantage to an adaptation. We were talking about wheel of time earlier and uh, I don't remember if it was the article you sent or one that I mentioned or one that I read later 
but uh, someone counted up the number of characters with names in the Wheel of Time novels, and it was over 2,700. Yeah, that's a spreadsheet. It was hard enough to keep track of all of that when you had 10,000 pages to do it in. Trying to keep track of all of that information in a TV show or a miniseries, that's going to have to be uh, trimmed quite a lot. I was sharing that same thought with my wife when we were discussing it. Because, I mean, there's going to have to be not just entire chapters, but, I mean, there's going to have to be books worth of material that hits the cutting room floor. Mm-hmm. And Well, even Jordan himself at some point got to the point where, and you can see if you're if you're reading it with this in mind, he comes to a realization at some point, there are too many characters. I am not going to be able to finish this. <laughs> and it, in one book, he kills like half the world. It's like, okay, we're just going to start snipping threads because... If I have to keep following all of these people, it's like exponentially growing. And I think it was around Winter's Heart. No, it was earlier than that. Where it was just like, okay, you know what? All the Lords of Tear, they're done. They're dead. <laughs> Thanos came in and snapped his finger and then left. Pretty much. Except Thanos was called the Sean Chan. Yeah. Some poor guy will be cast in the new series and he will have heard that. He'll look up his character's name online and find that he's he's in five books and has several hundred lines and several scenes with the with the main characters and then he finds out his total screen time is going to be 15 minutes in one episode and he dies off screen yep <laughs> well was there anything else we want to touch on upcoming adaptations one more thing you also mentioned gormenghast i did uh, and when you first said that i was like really they're going to adapt gormenghast how would that work the more I thought about it, I remembered. Did you ever see uh, that old soap opera, Dark Shadows? I knew, tried several I, times. It's been on my radar. I've known of it and what it is, but I've never been particularly interested in actually sitting and watching it. Yeah, it's it's kind of Dracula meets General Hospital. I mean, it's a it's a soap opera starring a vampire. Well, not starring a vampire. It's about a vampire. They didn't have an actual yeah. vampire actor. I as well. Far as I know. <laughs> I assume yeah, he's not I an actual vampire. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think we need to drive a stake in his heart just in case. <laughs> Did you try the uh, the original Dark Shadows or the more recent remake or the, the even origin- more recent movie? Oh. I did watch the movie, and can we just talk about something else for a minute? <laughs> um, so back to Gormenghast. Yeah, back to Gormenghast. Um, no, so, uh, I did. I did watch the original Dark Shadows, and the pacing was something I just could not get into. So uh, I'd watch yeah. a few episodes, and then I'd fall off. Yeah, that's understandable given the time that it was produced and the fact that it was daytime soap opera. It might have been a primetime soap opera, but it did have that weird pacing that the soap operas of the time had. But when James mentioned Gorman Guest, I'm like, well, you know, maybe that could work as kind of a Dark Shadows-esque gothic soap mm. opera. And it does have Gaiman attached to it, so who knows? Like so many of these others, we'll have to put it in the category of wait and see. Yep. Well, speaking of waiting and see, Mike, what are we going to see this episode in our zombie apocalypse plan of the week? This time, we're actually going to be using environmental factors to our favor. Uh, Many, many moons ago, we were relying on New England winter to get us through, but now we're going to actually go to Albuquerque summer. 
to defend ourselves from the zombies because you know what they always say uh, about Arizona? It's a dry heat. Well, it turns out that <laughs> zombies turn to jerky fast. And, you know, <laughs> once they're all shriveled and dehydrated, those muscles just cannot move. And at that point, it's just scraping them off that really, really searing hot blacktop and tossing them into a chipper shredder, and we're done. <laughs> that brings some fascinating and disturbing visuals to mind. Oh, You're welcome. yes. My father tells stories of growing up in Oil Hill in Kansas, in which it was fun to scrape the frogs up off of the pavement and use them as frisbees. <laughs> See, I thought you were going to talk about chucking zombies into wood chippers, so my mind well, went the no, other way. <laughs> They they kind of melt and they flatten out, and they turn all hard. We might see something similar. Wow, we'll be just stacking them up like ten pins, getting a big ball and zombie bowling. <laughs> and for our next plan, we can talk about the effects of Kansas Spring on zombies and and tornadoes and zombie nados and and it's too late. I've done it. There's already a movie being made. Good night, James. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> what have I done? Well, on that note, that's going to wrap it up for us this episode. Thank you all for listening in. Make sure that you check us out online at geekatarms.com, on Twitter at armsgeek, and at facebook.com slash geekatarms. And make sure also you can subscribe to us on iTunes and on the Google Play Store. Leave us a review. It helps other people find the podcast and lets us know how we're doing. And so from Brian, Mike, and James, as always, we want to say be safe, be blessed, and be geeky. Thanks for listening to Geek at Arms. Music for this podcast was provided by Incompetech.com. For more, check us out at Facebook.com forward slash Geek at Arms. Give us a like and maybe even subscribe to us on iTunes. That would be awesome.